Hear the word of the Lord from John's Gospel, chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told the other disciples. Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And Peter wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved and asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. This is God's word. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. This is the second week on this text. Last week, we saw that the only strategic plan that Jesus has between His resurrection and His coming again is the church. He builds the church. And we quoted Stanley Hauervoss and William Willimon in saying that the church is a colony of the kingdom. A beachhead where the distinctive language and lifestyle of the kingdom are lovingly nurtured and reinforced. Last week we skipped over material about what that kingdom looks like. We're going to do much of that today, but let me just pause for a second to say that I believe this text gives support to to my fondness for unofficially adding to our church mission that we are to be intergenerational and multi-ethnic, intercultural. I think the day should come shortly where I ask the church to add that specifically. Look at who's in the boat with Jesus, Nathaniel and Thomas and Peter and John, Nathaniel. We see early in the Gospel of John, Jesus sees him under the fig tree, and Nathaniel says, Surely you're the teacher of Israel. He is 
quick to believe. Now, I think that's a good quality, but for purposes of this sermon, let me put some negative tinges to it. He could be like the incredulous person or a superstitious person in the sense of over-believing, quick to believe, watch television very much, particularly commercials. And I would think uh, the judgment should be that at least people that are selling things think that the American culture, probably for good reason, is credulous. They're easy to believe things. In this sense, we are superstitious. On the other hand, I heard a seminary professor, I haven't heard anybody else but this one person, I think they coined the word, say Thomas is substitious. In other words, he's under-believing. He's hard-headed. Uh, John and Peter in the boat together. John's a theologian. He's a dreamer. He sees the big picture. Peter is practical. He's an activist. He wants to get out there. Let me tell you, Nathaniel's and Thomas's and Peter's and John's, it's, it's a little bit of work for them to get very close to one another, but they're all in the boat together with Jesus. They're all in the church together. God brings together his community, his ecclesia, his called-out group, come unity, a unity which comes together, which is the church. It is a community of love made out of differences and which reflect a whole different, as Howard Voss and Willeman say, uh, culture. They treat women differently. Women and men treat each other differently. Sexuality is treated differently. Money is treated differently in the church. And that spoke to the ancient world. The church is to be a community of love. Now, summary of last week, and if that's all we have, then the word is go out and do it. That's the end of the sermon, but it wouldn't be a gospel message. And Jesus' teaching goes on from there. He says, first of all, that's what you need to be and do. And then he says, parabolically, with me, without me rather, without me, you will never be that, and you will never do that. Look at verse 15. The text says, when they were done, when they had finished eating, in other words, Jesus doesn't pull Peter aside. This isn't a private discussion, but right out in public, in front of everyone, Jesus interrogates Peter three times. Do you love me? Jesus is studiously, dramatically recalling the denials in which Peter denied him three times. And uh, Peter's response is interesting. He isn't defensive. He doesn't say, I couldn't help it. He says, I know what you're saying, but I still want to love you. Peter is not exactly humiliated. He's not exactly shamed, but it's in that direction he is publicly laid bare. He is publicly exposed. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, I do. And although I recognize that I've failed, I want to serve you. So it's like that quintessential. Jesus is saying, that's what qualifies you to be my disciple. 
That's what gives you a gospel understanding of what is going on. You Now you're qualified. You uh, have fallen short. You have failed. Now you're in charge. Feed my lambs. He doesn't say feed my lions. He doesn't say feed my Kentucky Derby and Preakness Stakes winner, California Chrome. Not a stallion. He says feed my lambs. That's who we are. People who are wandering and weak and fail. You're in charge. Henry Nouwen wrote a lot of spiritual classics which have helped people. And he taught at Notre Dame and at Yale and Harvard. But for the last 10 years of his life, he joined a community which gave its life uh, to those who have had some mental damage. Uh, and I never investigated that before this week, for this moment in the sermon. It's a community, there are 35 of them now on all five continents, called Larche, the Ark, after Noah's Ark. And here's what the founder says about this, about the essence of this community. The essence of our community is Larche, it's French, is this living with. We are called certainly to serve with all our ability and to help those who are weaker to develop. But the foundation of this helping is found in friendship and the communion of hearts which allows us all to grow. So here are the high points of this particular text and at least as this particular message sees it. Throw in your nets, I'm going to make you fishers of men, and we're not to be selective about our fish. We don't fish uh, just for bass or for trout or for carp. We're not selective. We're a community of love together. Then do you love me? Jesus is reminding us of our inevitable failures, our inability to be the church without him. And then thirdly, he shows us how we can be the church together in spite of our failures to live with him. He says, follow me. He tells us what we should be, what without him we will never be, and why in him we can be that. This is an amazing story, <clears throat> this story about the fish. Almost every commentator says that its uh, reason for inclusion here is, for one thing, John remembers it. He says when the fish comes in and Peter and the others are overwhelmed by it, there are 153 fish. Commentators have spent two millennia looking for what symbolic meaning there could be behind that number 153. And do you know what they unanimously have come up with? There is none. The only reason for the inclusion of that number that anybody can think of, is that John remembered it that way. Here's the detail. 153 fish came aboard that day. But there's surely another reason for the inclusion of this story, the fact that it parallels so amazingly Luke 5, in which there's another time in which the disciples are Jesus, uh, of Jesus are fishing, and uh, to no avail. And Jesus tells them where to put the net, 
And they put the net there, and they are overwhelmed by the return. Now, when there are parallel stories, usually the bite, the key, comes in the differences. And there are two differences between, there are two different accounts, but there are two differences between this story and Luke 5 that, that, that leap out. Fishing to no avail, Jesus gives them direction, the catch overwhelms them. In the first case, Jesus is in the boat with them. In the second, he isn't. As a matter of fact, they scarcely recognize him on the shore. And commentators from left and right, orthodox and non-orthodox, amazingly, are almost all united on this point, that the point of this story in large measure is this. Jesus is saying your mission has not changed. Your mission is to be fishers of life. And although I am not visibly with you, I am with you, and I will help you accomplish your mission. Follow me. There's a second difference in Luke 5. Peter is scared witless. He says, woe is me, for I am an unclean man like uh, Isaiah, and I live in a people of unclean lips. Depart from me. He's aware of the holiness of this person in whose presence he is. In this telling the story, Peter understands who he is, and he flies to Jesus. As a matter of fact, here's another detail which tells us of John's eyewitness character. Uh, someone calls out, it's the Lord. John calls out, it's the Lord. And Peter, hearing this and recognizes the, this, puts on his coat and runs to be with him. Now, how many stories, if you were writing a detail of a story, would say, uh, well, he, he got dressed and then jumped into the water. <laughs> Commentators say it's written that way because that's the way it happened. Peter was beside himself. He couldn't get there fast enough, but he takes his coat, he puts it on, and he flies to Jesus. Last week we saw that the way we build community in this text is friendship. Jesus comes, the resurrected Christ comes saying, friend, in an intimate, colloquial fashion, lad, dude, bro, prof. So his kingdom is built through friendship, and friendship is found by flying to Jesus. The first thing he invites people to is to a breakfast together. We find friendship when we feast with Jesus, when we spend time with Jesus, when we start time in Bible study and prayer and in service, and in seeing him bring in a great catch on our behalf, and yes, maybe... Maybe spending time together on a patio, whether it's covered or not. Friendship comes with feasting together with Jesus Christ and flying to him with all that we have and all that we ha are, living with him in our failures and being transformed. This is a serious text, so it's, it's not really comic. It would be incorrect to say it's it's humorous, and yet it is. Misery loves company, doesn't it? And so when um, Peter runs to Jesus, Jesus tells him about his future. It's going to be death on a cross. It's going to be death which is painful. And um, 
Peter takes it in and he looks around and sees John and he says, I understand this. He says, well, what about him? And Jesus gives Peter the same answer that Aslan gives in the Narnia Chronicles. He says, "Uh, I'm here to tell you your story. I don't tell you anybody else's story. That's part of the ways we can be friends with one another. We are to help everybody as best we can to the depths of our wisdom to live out their journey, but their journey or theirs. And although it is our place to help them with it, it is not particularly our place to judge them about it. Friendship. Fly to Jesus. Feed with Jesus. Be a friend with Jesus. And if you do, he may, as he did with Peter, point out his failures, and it may be painful, but he will do it to make you great. And if you fly to Jesus... He will make you his friend, and he will make you a friend to others. Living and holy God, what an amazing word, what an amazing text, what an amazing invitation, what an amazing grace. Father, may we be wise enough in our living to feed on you and with you, to fly to you, to be courageous enough to accept your friendship in all that you intend to do with us and through us in Jesus' name. Amen.